This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Morning, or what I shared on this morning and challenged myself a little bit and want to challenge you. So let me just see how many of you were here this morning. So I don't want to repeat too much. Okay, five of you, seven of Okay, I need to repeat more. Um, but part of our vision that we've been talking about is to reach nations and generations through discipleship, leadership development, and church planting. And uh, those are nice words, but what does it actually mean, and what does it actually mean to you and I, you know? Um, I was talking to somebody that was going, um, and sort of, and I realized, like, sure, this guy didn't even pray about where God wants him, you know? And I I trust we all get to the place where we, before we pray for a job, we'll pray and say, God, where do you want me? And do you know what? Then God will provide the job there. Thank you for enthusiasm. But, um, so, so part of what we're doing here is we are training up people. We're trusting God to raise up leaders. You know, here just on campus, we have the top 5% of people in this country that come here. So what a privilege. What an amazing challenge especially with worldviews that are changing and a lot of things. And then, obviously, also, we do this church planting thing. And it was so great to go to, a, we went on sort of a mission scout thing to, to um, Transkai and up um, to, uh, to, for a wedding. And then we met up with Darbury and Mina, who was here. They were district leaders here, and now they're planting a church in PE, and they're so excited. They've got two kids. The church is like 80, and we think, like, hey, he was just a normal small group leader here. But now God is using him to really advance the kingdom and his wife, Mina. So um, all of us doesn't need to be a pastor, but when we have our heart for church planting, we want to reach the nations. And it's just simply the, the Great Commission. So we're going to talk a bit about the gospel and our relationship with the gospel. Because a lot of Christians, they love Jesus, but they don't love the message of Jesus. Okay, so... Paul writes in Romans, the book of Romans, which is the book on doctrine. And he starts in Romans chapter 1 and he makes this amazing declaration. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in this gospel, this message of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's a message. And that message, the world wants to hear that message. But that message brings you and I, when we come to salvation, it brings us to this place of we get born again. But then that message has one purpose, and that is to sanctify you. To bring you closer and to make you like Christ. So that message, it says here, reveals the righteousness of God. That place that you can stand before God and you can say, wow, I am free from the things of this world. I'm free from the demands of this world. I don't need to do things like, like people do in the world because I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This message, this message has liberated me, has set me free. But um, if I had somebody that, and I was maybe, say for instance, to use an example, I had uh, terminal cancer and I had one week to live and somebody walks into my life and he gives me like a 10 liter bottle of water with stuff in and he says, drink three sips of this. Then I drink that. And I get healed. Just three sips. But now I've got a whole bottle left. So some people are very satisfied and very thankful for the three sips they got and the healing they got. And say, yeah, I'm healed, I'm free. 
the question is what is what are you going to do with the rest of that bottle are you going to share it and are you going to bring it what's your relationship not just with the person who set you free but and the righteousness you received but the relationship and the stand you have to take and i have to take and more than ever in this time that we are living there is a massive onslaught on the message of jesus christ and that's why paul begins this book with i'm not ashamed of the gospel i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god unto salvation it's just not a bunch of knowledge or things and so there's a simplicity of the gospel that you and i need to embrace i i think all of us we live in an intellectual environment and it's great it's great to pursue intellectually to read christian books and all this stuff but i want to quote something i read the other day i think it was smith wigglesworth he says he said read many christian books but live in the bible <laughs> read many christian books but live in the bible and so in first corinthians chapter 15 now i'm going to preach a lot because i just drank a sip of coke and there's a lot of sugar in so first corinthians 15 1 to 4 moreover brethren i declare to you and this is now paul writing to a spiritful church a charismatic church they, they've seen the gifts of god they've seen the power of god he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. You have to stand in the gospel. By which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he says, I declare to you that gospel. Some messages say, some translation says i remind you not to let go to hold fast onto the gospel of jesus christ amen oh, oh lacka lacka listen to this in first corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 to 5 so he's talking to a bunch of people that have experienced god but they've started to drift away a little bit of actually believing that this message is powerful listen to this first corinthians chapter 2 and i brethren when i came to you did not come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. And this is now Paul, the most learned Pharisee of all time. He says, I determined, I determined, I set my mind on one thing. I have, when I came to you, I came with an attitude, but with a determination, with a focus that you will not believe. De to be determined means to set your mind primarily on one thing. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sure. See, this is the attitude that I come to you. And I'm the most learned guy around. I know everything. I've got, I've got the files. I've got the degrees. I've got my master's, master's, PhD, all on top of each other, seven PhDs. And, and that's all great. But I've determined one thing. And this is the attitude that he comes with. Because the center of the gospel is to know Christ. And we sang it so beautifully tonight. I believe. But you know, it could just be words. I believe in the resurrection. Do you know what that means? It means you are crazy. I believe in the virgin birth. Do you know how crazy that belief is? Okay. The Son of God was born of a virgin. By the Holy Spirit, you are crazy. And you believe that. 
You believe that somebody was dead and he rose from the dead. Intellectually, don't try to figure that out. But that's what you believe. And it's true. Oh, thank you for the five amens, you know. <laughs> now we think, like, did I really believe that? Did I sing that? Yo, you sang a whole song on it. I believe, you know. And it's so powerful when you and I begin to step into that power of the gospel, the knowledge of the gospel, but the center of the gospel. So in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, when the writer talks about faith and all the stuff, he says, the focus should be to look unto Jesus. He says, run the race, cast off the weights, the sins that so easily ensnare us. Looking unto Jesus, verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you were here this morning, we spoke a little bit about different gospels, because there's a lot of other gospels. Paul would write many times on defending the gospel and talking about this place where he says, my gospel, he says, Galatians, well, accursed is him who preaches another gospel. And today there are many Gospels. We spoke a bit about that this morning. There are many different Gospels in churches like ours. You know, there's crazy stuff happening. There's people drinking petrol and there's people catching stuff on fire and stuff and weird things happening. There's a hyper-grace Gospel. It says to you, hey, just grace, grace, grace. There's a prosperity Gospel that says God is going to bless you abundantly over da 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 then there's this, a lot of people that go back into the law, into the Jewish root stuff, and they just say, hey, don't call Jesus Jesus anymore. It must be Yeshua, Mashiach, Yahweh, you know, and you think like, oh, you know, that's so, that's so complicated. But there's a lot of stuff, and, and I mentioned it this morning, but the most challenging one today is a humanistic gospel, a gospel that is man-centered and not God-centered. And it looks so beautiful because it's very motivational. It makes you feel good. The only problem is Jesus isn't the center of that gospel. The need of man is the center of that gospel. So we see a lot of charismatic churches that, and we need to be very careful ourselves, that build church around the nice coffee, the nice lights, the nice banners, all that stuff, and that is amazing. It attracts people, and it tells something of excellence because we serve an excellent God. But that will mean nothing if it's built around the needs of man. Hello. And it's sometimes very motivational. You know, I, I sometimes fall for the trap because I, I want I want I don't want to listen tough mess, to tough messages. I want to say, hey, you're an overcomer. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in That's all true. But if it's just encouragement and there is no repentance with it, there's a challenge. I want you to jump to that William Booth slide. I love this. This is a guy who started the Salvation Army many years ago. And he said these words, the chief danger of the 20th century, that's now us living many years later, will be religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Whew. Okay, let's think about that for a moment. <laughs> Let me just wait some conviction to sink in here. Now, this guy said it lots of years ago. He says there's a Christianity without Christ. 
And that's the challenge today because we need a lot of discernment. And that's why live in the Bible. Understand what you believe. More than ever, you and I need to embrace and hold on to what we believe. I'm just making a joke with Max. It's getting very quiet in here. So, so what are some of the elements of the gospel? And um, we spoke about this this morning. It's getting very quiet. So let's just go for it. I mean, Matthew 9, verse 35, the power of the gospel. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So we see this, these elements of things that happen. There are a lot of things that we can say about the story. But if you just go to read the book of Acts, the most amazing sermons ever. And Jesus died and rose again. You think like, come on, give us a bit more. But there's preaching, which is to proclaim. There's teaching, which is to reveal and to disciple. To make people understand that, that process of sanctification. And then there's the demonstration of the gospel. Through your life, a changed life, you and I changing, but then living it out there. So there is nothing like silent Christianity. Did you know that? You cannot be a silent Christian. Because then you're not embracing the whole gospel. And this isn't about works. It's not about standing on the street corner and say, turn or burn, turn or burn. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do that, but people don't. It's about living in the power of God every day. Understanding what Jesus died for. But preaching means to proclaim. One of those stories that challenged me many years ago is when one guy said, he shared a story of how he was preaching in the Middle East and, and, he was, and he, there wasn't a lot of people there. But halfway through, just preaching the gospel, telling people about Christ, a man came running and just fell on his knees right in front and he just started to weep bitterly, uncontrollably. And repenting. Uh, he didn't even finish the message. Later on, he asked the guy, he says, now, you came with such a rush. How did you get here? What happened? He says, now he was working in the fields about three kilometers away. And his ears opened up and he heard the message that Jesus died for him. And he's been searching for that message, the truth, for many years. And he just started running to where he heard the sound came from. The only thing is, there was no amplified sound. How did that work? I don't know. But then it gets it worked. Hallelujah, yeah? <laughs> so the crazy thing is, what we've seen in the Middle East is the most profound stuff today of Jesus appearing to people. People preaching the gospel in dreams. There's, there's a dynamic of things happening that that we're about to discover when we do things God's way. <laughs> but it's going to cost us something. It's going to be a challenge because if we preach a watered-down gospel, we will get watered-down results. I love what Reinhard Bonke says. He says, preach the original gospel and you will get the original results of the same gospel. So there's a power of the gospel and we see Jesus moving around and, and yes, there was teaching and yes, there was preaching, but there was demonstration as well. God wants to use you and I in that. But so, in these holidays, I, I sort of woke up one night and was a bit challenged. I'm going to be challenged too now. I'm just sharing my challenge with you. I felt the Lord asked, in the middle of the night, He asked me, what do you think are the challenges of the gospel? And I thought like, yeah, the, 
the Muslim faith coming against Christians, the stuff, all this. There's so many stuff and there's worldliness and all that stuff. And then he said, no, it's things in our hearts. And he gave me a couple of words. You can show it there. Compromise. Comfort. Convenience. Consumerism. Lack of commitment. People that just have too many choices. And our culture that binds us from following God. It's a Western Christian. You see, because we are creatures of comfort and convenience. And as long as I'm a con- it's convenient for me, I'll serve God. But those are, are just very subtle idols. It's not big sins. It's huge sins. Because <laughs> it keeps you out of obedience. When we start to compromise, when we start to just go for comfort, what is comfortable for me, what is, what is good for me. And, and you know, Jesus... I don't like that shofar church. Two hours. Two hours, I tell you. They soccer, Manchester, stated, United, you know, is uniting the world, and now you're playing church. It's not about the time. It's a condition of our hearts. And sometimes you go to the Middle East and you find people just sitting there for hours weeping just to be in the presence of God. We were there in Iran, sitting there in a little kitchen. And this lady did not understand a word of English. And she wept for just five hours just to be with other Christians. She fasted for 21 days to get baptized. And he baptized her in the bathtub. It was one of the most glorious moments I've ever experienced. I cried for many hours after that. And I realized, Lord, I've got 10 Bibles lying around in my house. Some of them just gather dust. Too many choices. I'm waiting for conviction again. It's a little bit tough. Yeah, look, look. <laughs> it's going to get tough. Okay, so <clears throat> listen to this in Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. One day, no, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want to say to you tonight, the kingdom of God is at hand. And God is waiting for just normal Christians just to take a stand. Not to run around, try to be performance orientated and try to be radical for the sake of being radical. It's just simply take a stand. This nation needs it. This Campus of ours need just normal, ordinary Christians that just can stand in their authority, in their position. It's a spiritual stand. It's not a what you do in the flesh, but he said, the, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. It's at hand. And our response, the response to that is repent and believe in the gospel. Do we actually believe what we sing? Do we actually believe what we say? Yes. Amen. The kingdom of God is at hand. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Turn to your neighbor and say, Laka, laka. <laughs> I have this friend that um, 
He's just crazy for Jesus. Sometimes we need crazy people around us that can just challenge all the comfort out of us. Amen? You know, people like Lenny that just challenges and shifts the boundaries and just like a like a evangelist on steroids. But this friend of mine, he always does these weird things. He's in America now. But the moment when we get into the elevator and it's full of people, he says, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Then he says, see us. Tell me what salvation means to you and when you came to Jesus the first time. Now the elevator is full. Eh? So it's wonderful. We're not talking to them. We're just sharing with each other. It is crazy. Most people have put like on for the 10th floor or the 15th floor. By floor number three, everybody's out. <laughs> but some people, you know, he just, Steve, he's just, he works for Christ for all nations. And he just preaches at everything that moves. And that, that doesn't mean we all need to be evangelists and be radical, but we must do the work of an evangelist. We must, we must not be ashamed of the, the message of what Christ has done for us and in our lives. Because there's a cost to that and there's a relationship, an intimate relationship we have with God. That's where everything starts. It flows out of our intimacy with God. But if you, and I, I, I sort of wanted to, there's one or two people that just started dating in the last while. But if you, if you start loving somebody, then you can see it in the way that guy walks and the way she walks. You're just like, And they'll tell you about it. You, you can see their whole life has changed. Why? Because they're in love. They've been like, something has happened. that's triggered inside. Some, some, the main switch tripped all the time. And then it trips again. It goes on and off, on and off, on and off. And then all the plugs and all the lights go on and off. Then everything is just like crazy. Hey, Steve. But so, it's amazing. <laughs> but it's amazing, you know, when... When that thing that happens, when people fall in love, it is, it's just crazy. But why do we lose that love for God? Because we fall into consumerism and comfort. and We, we sometimes neglect the great salvation we have. And I love what Angus says. He says, let your main thing be your main thing. Let your main thing be your main thing. What has God has told you? Are you obedient to that? And that doesn't mean go and try and change the world out there. And, you know, just give up everything in your studies. It's just where's God placed you, and what is at hand? The kingdom of God is at hand where you are, because a lot of people won't come here, but you can go here. You can pray. You can see the kingdom of God come. And listen to this in Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-four. When he had called the people, that Jesus. To himself with his disciples also. He said to him, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the center of when we come. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Why does Jesus make a distinction there? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel. Because every believer has to decide what is this message doing in my life of knowing Christ, of being set free. But then there comes a place where I need to be accountable to God with what did I do with this message of Christ. Because I must not just lose my life for Christ, but also for the sake of the gospel. My life must become 
a worship song to God. My life must become a testimony to God. My life, I want my life to bring glory to Him. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm like super excited about what God is about to do in our lives and in this town. I really believe God is going to bring a great revival, but it's going to be a revival that looks a bit different than what we think. Because most people, when they say, oh, there's going to be a revival, they think of numbers and nice big services and nice big income. I think of a picture of a hospital. There's people that are in the ICU and they need all the care they can. They need to be rescued. It's life or death. There are others in the maternity ward. There are others in just visiting the hospital. They're just visiting, checking everything out. There's a lot of things happening in that hospital. Hey, Lawson? Lawson is almost heading up the hospital here. What's your title, Lawson? Superintendent of Western Cape. Okay? I don't know. But you know, when Lawson tells you stories of what happens when people come into that hospital. One guy came in with, a, with like a, what was, what's a bale? An axe in his head. Oh my God, imagine somebody walking up to you. Hey, well, sir, would you please take out this axe quickly? I would like faint a thousand times, you know. I actually must tell you this story. I had a friend, this big guy, you know, he played, he played lock and he's like a, this strong guy, he really played well rugby, you know, but some guys don't have like a pain threshold at all, you know. So he went, now it's their first child. This has got nothing to do with the sermon, but just hang on to it in any case. So he's got their first child, and now they're going for the sonar, and they're going to check out this baby, you know. So they go, and now his wife's stomach is like big, and they're so excited, and then he puts this little thing, what do you call that, Lawson? A sonar. Thank you. Okay, so he puts this little thing where you like now put it on the stomach and then you look at the picture and then you see the little baby and you see all the stuff, you know. So he put it on his wife, the doctor put it on his wife's stomach and he says that's the last thing he remembered. He passed out. Next time they again went again, he even got intercessors to help him. And the doctor said to him, when your wife delivers, Please take out extra medical care for yourself, you know. Because <laughs> he, he couldn't, like, think, you know. Praise God for women. Hallelujah. The Lord is with you. But, you know, when, when you think of a hospital, it's crazy. It's just like, that's what church should be like. Not a hotel, not a comfort zone. Yes, we have community, and yes, it's great. Yes, we have family. But God wants to be glorified. He wants the sick to come in. He wants the broken to be healed. He wants the prisoners to be set free. And sometimes it doesn't look nice. And that's why there's also an offense of the gospel. If you really preach the gospel, people out there will be offended, but you're going to be offended and I'm going to be offended sometimes. Because Jesus said, I am a stumbling stone. I'm a rock of offense. <laughs> You know, when Jesus died on the cross, in three different languages, it was written, this is the king of the Jews. 
And poor Pilate. Pilate just wanted to live in denial. There is somewhere in Egypt. That was a flow joke. Okay, but in any case, it's a river in Egypt, denial, you know, all that stuff. But in any case, so Pilate said, Pilate had this opportunity. Now remember, Pilate was this guy with so much authority. And so his wife gets a dream and says, don't have anything to do with this guy. Don't crucify this guy. And then he sends Jesus away again. He uses every excuse to default and to delegate his response to Jesus. Because he says, I find nothing wrong in this man. He even wanted to release somebody else. But you know, every person has to face whether you're going to wash your hands or whether you're going to embrace what Christ has done. And what a privilege it is when we embrace the fullness of Christ. There's just too many pilots in this world. I wonder what if it would have been different if he just heeded to his wife because she had a dream and said to him, don't, don't do this. Stand up, stand strong. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. I'm rather going to fear man. I'm rather going to think of what the people say because I want my position. But you know, there was somebody else at that cross, a Roman centurion, all the rest, even the disciples, they ran away, but there was somebody else, a Roman centurion, and, and this is for me the greatest testimony of Jesus. It says about that Roman centurion, when he saw the way Jesus died, his response was, surely this is the Son of God. Now that's probably different if you think of, but if that is your job, you can talk to the doctors here. If you are like doing, you see like people with axes in their heads and stuff like that, then you get desensitized a lot to just like gory stuff. So if, you, if your job was to crucify people, it would have sort of just eventually became like you were numb and just another person. But if that Roman centurion, his response was, surely this is the Son of God. Then something was so different about the crucifixion of Jesus. Something about the glory of God, Him giving up His life, not the world taking it, not, but Him sacrificing Himself, was just so different that that centurion fell on his knees and said, surely, 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 world, this is the Son of God. And that is the gospel we believe. And the center of that gospel is Jesus Christ Himself. Oh yeah, I've heard that. But what effect has it in you? What is your response to that gospel? Why are you willing to say to God and say, yes, Lord, I, be I, I believe, I believe that. I want to be a believer. I don't want to be an unbelieving believer. Because there are many unbelieving believers. Oh, we're going to heaven. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. But I'm continuing for convenience sake with my own life. And then Jesus says, I'm willing to pay the cost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What a promise. It's not what you give away, it's what you gain. <laughs> it's not about this big sacrifice and how tense it is and what you're against. It's what you're standing for. And so you and I are challenged. What are you standing for? What am I standing for? We're going to be challenged as the church in the West in the next two or three years as to what we believe because there's so many isms coming. But we don't focus on what we're standing against. We focus on what we're standing for. Amen? I told the story this morning. I'm going to end with this story, you know. 
I spoke to a, I don't know what you call them, but you, the guy worked in the nar- narcotics, um, and then, <coughs> but then eventually he went into money, just checking out money laundering and, and bank notes and all of that stuff. And, and I asked him, but now, how difficult is it if you have to now check all these notes? And today, obviously, we get a lot of fancy technology, but all these fake 100 rand notes and the fake stuff. There's so many fake stuff coming from Nigeria. Sorry, Nigerians, you know. But so many fake stuff. How do you, how do you know? And then he said, most of the time, what he does and what they do in their training is they get trained into what the real thing looks like. Because there's so many deviations or different types of fake notes and all of that stuff that if you're always going to focus on what the fake is, it's going to become a very difficult job. But once you know the true thing, once you find the pearl of greatest price, you'll go and sell everything because you found So then the gospel doesn't become just a mere intellectual exercise. The relationship isn't just with God, something you do on the side. I found life. This is how my life is going to be saved. I have profited so much by knowing God. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.